Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with businesses and food service programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money by maximizing employee productivity and happiness with inclusive wellness programs. Every week, I bring you tips, tricks, and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields so that you can level up your professional development. I have exciting news. I have developed Self-Actualized Pro. This is a networking site off of the typical networking sites that everyone's using these days. So it is ad-free, it is focused, and it really gives you a chance to engage with the content that you come to the site for and with the other users that you want to get to know better. That's selfactualizedpro.mn.co. Don't worry, the link is in the show notes. In addition to being able to network with other listeners, this community is going to be a resource for personal growth and professional growth. I have moved the podcast to more of a resource for people who want to have that leg up, who want to keep their resume fresh, because you never know when an opportunity is going to present itself that you may want to dig deeper with. Life is really a combination of opportunity and preparation. So this show and Self-Actualized Pro is meant to prepare you so that when fortuitously something falls into your lap or a new opportunity presents presents itself, you will be ready. Make sure you check it out for a tiny investment in yourself of maybe three cups of coffee a month. You'll have access to specialized trainings, the ability to co-create future episodes of the show, to be part of the live studio audience, and and to really get clarity on how to be visible online in a way that suits you and your career growth. And because there's a one-week free trial there's really nothing to lose. Why don't you check it out and see how much you love it. Today, we have Melissa, the creator of Super Kids Nutrition on the show. Melissa's approach to nutrition ed is really fresh and fun, but she's been at this for years. If you have any interest in entrepreneurship or creating nutrition education tools that are truly inclusive, you don't want to miss this interview. Melissa really knows her stuff. All right, let's get started. School nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Looking at your website, you've done so much incredible work, and it looks like you really make nutrition ed fun and approachable in a way that I've never seen anyone else do. It made me want to know more about how you even were drawn to nutrition in the first place and how you ended up being a leader in your field. So, well, I I was interested in nutrition because I was kind of not the healthiest child. I had a ton of food allergies. I was uh, hospitalized for congenital GERD. So I just wanted to feel better. 
I had asthma and allergies. And then we found out that a lot of it was caused by food. And so when they did that first skin test, it was unbelievable. Like it came back, I was allergic to so many foods. And we changed those and I just felt tremendously better. And I think that even though I don't specialize in food allergies now, it was one of those things that really um, pulled me towards nutrition to think, wow, like it's amazing. Here I was already eating healthy. I mean, my mom was an early adapter of millet and quinoa. <laughs> like we, we ate all those foods, but I had a, a true gluten allergy as well as like potatoes and soy, some of those things now I've outgrown, but they really did um, affect my energy level. That gives us an idea about how you were fed as a child. What was your original vision for Super Kids and how has it evolved over time? So I started Super Kids Nutrition 14 years ago and we were actually the first kids nutrition dietitian website. So now it's like, there's so many dietitian bloggers, but when I started, everybody was like, wow, you're starting a website. And what had happened was I'd been in clinical for a decade. And really when I had my daughter, it had been a long time since I'd been in graduate school. And I forgot a lot about breastfeeding nutrition and baby's first foods. So I started searching online, like dietitians were always planning like five steps ahead. So it's like, she's born. I'm already researching baby's <laughs> first foods. And I couldn't find anything. And I had um, searched through one of the children's hospitals and I had to go through 10 layers. It was like walking to like the middle of the mall only to find like one shoe <laughs> instead of a set and it repair. And so I just couldn't find anything good online. And I thought, you know what? I should start a kid's nutrition website and answer all these questions that I'm sure parents like me and even dietitians would want to use to go to um, as a resource. And of course, it started out, I, was, I resigned from my clinical nutrition manager job and I was still teaching. And I started this thinking, oh, it'll just be like this little side hobby in addition to teaching. I think I was teaching like six courses and, and at the time. And, it just grew and grew and it started out, oh, I'll just provide articles on early childhood nutrition. And then it was like, well, I do know people who have teenagers who have questions and then we need curriculum and activities and coloring pages. And it just kind of expanded. I think there's over 6,000 content items now. It's, a, it's pretty big. Did you retire anything or you have everything there in the archives? It's updated. So we, we update regularly, um, which is exhausting, but I think it's important. I feel like our core nutrition messages as dietitians are pretty much always the same. Eat a colorful diet, eat high fiber, choose whole grains over refined grains, choose lean proteins. I always was a, a plant-based kind of advocate first. So choose beans before beef, but you can, all foods can fit. So that message has probably um, evolved a little more to be more predominant on the site. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's, we're updating the old article contents, but some of the original activities are there. They're much more sophisticated in the last year than they were 14 years ago. I think I've learned a lot about design. <laughs> I would think too. I mean, did you design the website on your own 14 years ago? So it was crazy. I did everything kind of originally with PowerPoint graphics. 
And I mean, it was really kind of unsophisticated and hokey. And then um, once I realized, oh my gosh, we're having so much content. And within two years, we were listed on the USDA website as a credible source for nutrition education. It was pretty exciting. School libraries, all these nonprofits and universities. I hired a professional web developer and I'm happiest with my web developer now. He's uh, fantastic. So it's too big. Even though I do upload the stuff on the back end, I have a team. I have a graphic artist, a web programmer, somebody who helps me with search engine optimization to make sure that all our great content actually appears in Google. Right. Because <laughs> you can have like something like the most wonderful article. I just wrote an article. It's like 2,000 words. It's like my heart and blood went into this article on all the different phytonutrients and how to get them in kids and what they do and how to eat them. And, and you put all that time in and if you don't use the right keywords and optimize that nobody will ever see it. Even I mean, they might still see it. We have like 40,000 visitors every month, but I won't reach maybe that new person who needs it. And so we do a lot of that too with the website. That's incredible. That's a lot of traffic. So then because you're recognized by all these different sources, I'm sure a lot of dietitians look to your site for information as well. Yeah. So it's been, it's been fun. Like sometimes I'll get an email or a text from somebody who knows me if it's a text, but they'll say, oh, I'm using your hand. I'm using your articles as handouts because every single article can be printed as a PDF. So, and it's not like it's a competition. If they're a dietitian in Atlanta or New York City and they have a private practice or they're doing outreach at a community health fair, they can print it out. It's not like I'm stealing their their business by them using the handout, right? And it just saves them a lot of time. And we do have an editorial board. Our content is updated regularly. So if they do print it out, it's going to be accurate and up to date. It's a process. So we're always updating like I said, which is a lot of work, but I do, but it is nice to hear when I find out a clinic is using it, it makes me happy or, or a dietitian, or sometimes a media dietitian will say, oh, I had to do a segment and I look to see what are the best snack ideas for kids. So we're highly utilized. Oh, I love that. I didn't even realize that's a position, the media dietitians. Yeah. Yeah. So different media dietitians. Yeah. They'll use um, super kids nutrition. If they're going to be on like NBC News and they need talking points or some of the, the media representatives for oh, different gotcha. for states or spokespersons. So there's, there's a lot of tasty, creative ideas. And then we're also, we also provide a ton of content to schools. So when I first started out, we were maybe at a handful of schools. By year five, we partner with, I think it was like, I don't know, 500. And now we're at over 5,000 schools in 40 states. So we do the parent newsletter, which talks about, you know, healthy eating tips at home. And then we do the back of the school menu with the super crew characters. Oh, so cool. Now, how did you develop the super crew characters? So I have a little girl. She's not so little now. She's a teenager, but her name is Abigail. And so when Abigail couldn't speak at school, I would speak for her. So at six months, we would be out with my parents or family or friends. And I would say, baby dietitian Abigail says that you should eat more color on your plate because giving advice from a baby instead of having it come from their daughter, right? was like, 
baby, baby dietitian says, dad, maybe something healthier than a hot dog would be good. So, so then it kind of evolved to super baby Abigail. And what ended up happening was at the time I had been teaching functional foods and superfoods probably for about five or six years. And so I taught all about like how blueberries um, have phytochemicals uh, like anthocyanins, which help improve memory and onions and help with asthma. And so I'd broken it down by color group in the course. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do super baby Abigail has blueberries, I need to do like another character who, when he eats carrots, he can see around corners. And, and so I started creating the, the characters based on the color group. And I actually took a photograph of my daughter and I plugged it into Crayola, turned a photograph into a coloring page. And that was the first artwork and the beginning, the birth of the super crew. That is so cool. I thought maybe you would have had to wait until you had a designer to do that. So I started it out. I mean, it was very like super basic. And then I hired probably, I went through about four or five different artists before I found one who really captured the essence of what I wanted. And we had to really evolve the characters. Like sometimes, so I did, I did focus group testing with preschool age kids. And so they would say things like, I don't like Kira's hair. It's not long enough. Or just all, or Andy's chin. I don't like, they wouldn't say his chin, but they would say like, I don't like his face. And so I think his chin was too pointy. So we kind of evolved the characters which was really kind of a super fun process to keep track of. And then later on, I used that information when we got Center for Disease Control funding to focus group, the char- focus group test the characters and then use them in like free, it was a free menu and, and toys that were used at restaurants through a grant. And so oh, we used that sweet. initial information so I could show what we've already done preliminary focus group testing. And then they paid to the, the grant fund at Tufts University to actually focus group test them for kids ages three to 11 from all different racial backgrounds. And they are, and socioeconomic as well, and they are um, racially diverse. So I, I feel like, although I always tell like parents when I would go in and do a super crew lecture with the kids, it could be like the Latino kid loves super baby Abigail, who's Asian and wants to eat blueberries to be really smart, like super baby Abigail. Like it didn't, it didn't matter their favorite character. Right. And I loved, I love that they're so appealing as a whole. Yeah. yeah. And I think representation is really important, <clears throat> even if that's not the character that you're drawn to, it's healthy to see someone who kind of looks like they could be your cousin or something. Yeah. Exactly. The kids don't get those hangups about race until someone introduces it to them. Yes. So it true. could be affirming and healthy, even if they aren't making any distinctions yet because we haven't corrupted their little brains. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and comes- it, it, right, exactly. And I tried, I'm, I'm working on, I, we'll see if this comes to fruition or not, but I have these little mini chapter books. I already have 20 chapters outlined for one with the super crew. And so I'm also trying to change some of the stereotypes around there. Like Andy, who's Asian, he's the athlete. Like, like why, can't, why can't we just right. not pigeonhole him into like analytics. Like I've had so many Asian friends who've told me like they're, they just automatically assume that they're like the math and science person, like not the athlete. So I tried to kind of change some of the stereotypes there as well. 
That's really important. I think that a lot of times when you're focused on an area like nutrition or something that doesn't seem to have anything to do with social justice or inequality, we don't see how the work that we do could be something positive that moves us in the right direction. But that is a great way. So in nutrition ed, there's an opportunity for us to be inclusive and hopefully the kids behind us will have a better go of it than maybe some of us have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll, each person has their, their favorite character. So it's, it's been, it's been really fun to develop them and see them evolve in, in different uh, materials. I have a book coming out next month with the super crew and it's going to be in Spanish and English. And I'm working on finding somebody to translate it into Mandarin. Oh, yes. Oh, excellent. It's be a lot of fun. You've been doing this for a really long time. How do you keep your understanding of the science really sharp? Are there journals that you focus on? How do you stay up to date? Definitely. Well, well, first off, up until two years ago, I taught in six to nine courses. Yeah. So I only resigned two years ago to really focus on my writing. So I constantly had to stay up to date with research in kids and family nutrition, functional foods, sports nutrition, which I also taught, public nutrition and wellness, weight management, and then two other additional courses that involve functional foods and organic um, conventional farming and things like that. So I feel like that. I've also been the media representative for the California Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So I have to stay well-versed. And then I have a private practice, which is only like seven minutes away from my house, which is good since I'm so busy. And I'll see clients Fridays and some Saturday afternoons. So that kind of really keeps me up to date. And I also precept. So I take graduate students regularly. And so they'll pull like every week, I'll be like, okay, can you pull these three research articles and summarize them? Then I'll read them and we, we kind of go over how they interpret it together. And I feel like by teaching, it forces me to mm. do a better job. It also makes me a better human being. <laughs> because yeah. like you have to be patient and kind, right? When you're teaching and-, and Oh, is that a rule? I don't know that all <laughs> teachers have heard that. <laughs> Well, it forces me because let me tell you, the kindness part, I think I've got down, but the patience part, I'm like, can infringe on my kind personality and like take (laughs) over when I lose my patience. So like, I I really, I think that teaching has totally helped me stay up to date. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So a lot of parents right now are reporting that they're having difficulty feeding their kids while they're in quarantine or while they're sheltering in place. Based on your experience, what recommendations would you give to them? Well, I would say just like a newborn or a preschool kid has those meltdowns if they miss their nap and they don't have a regular meal schedule, all human beings. I mean, I'm sure you've been hangry. I have. Watch out. The headache from not drinking enough water. You feel so tired. You want to overeat, but you're dehydrated or you went too long in between meals kids are the same way. So having some kind of, obviously a realistic expectation, depending on their age, if they're a teenager, they are going to stay up late, but you have to have a cutoff. They can't right. be going to bed at 12, 30, 1 AM. If they're going to bed at, 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 let's say 1130, they can still wake up by 830, eat breakfast by nine and stick to a regular meal schedule. So you can have families as a meal. 
but having set times for mealtime and snack time so they're not grazing throughout the day is absolutely important. And by kind of meal planning and scheduling those things together, you'll have a higher rate. of. So I would say a lot of my dietitian friends are definitely having their kids do more of the meal planning. So I had, even with my daughter, I had her write out everything that she wanted on the grocery list, but then she had to show to me how she was going to put the ingredients together before I ordered them on Instacart. And then as soon as, as soon as you get the groceries, you either have to put a list on the fridge that has the most recent, like the food that's going to expire the soonest from a budget standpoint, you, you, you can't be throwing out food, right? right? But also you don't want to decrease food waste, which was a total horrible, has a horrible impact on the environment. And so making sure that your refrigerator is set up with the foods that are going to expire most and that you have easy, healthy snacks available. So one of the things I always have said since my daughter was little is like, before you go for the pantry, open up the fridge. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a habit because a lot of times when people walk into the kitchen, they want to go to the pantry where your chips, sweets, snack food. But if you get in the habit of looking in the fridge first, you might be like, oh, I'll have that honey mango. Oh, those honey mangoes are so good. Once you have a honey mango, it's hard to go back to a regular mango. Yes. Or a nice chilled kiwi you cut in half and spoon mm. out. Oh, like, and then they start to get creative. So like my daughter, I, I said it again today, go for the fridge. And she took out a mango on a lime. It was the first time she squeezed lime over mango. And she said, I'm never going to have it another way. I'm never going to have it <laughs> Well, another how did she come up with that lime. idea? Did she see it somewhere? They were in the front of the fridge. It was just in the front of the fridge. And she so just decided I, to combine them. Yeah, she just decided to combine it. I mean, I bought one of those huge bags of limes at Costco. So they're like in the front of the fridge because they've taken over the fridge. <laughs> but I was like $6 for a bag of like 30 or, or uh, $6 for three. Right. <laughs> we'll figure out how to use limes. But I think encouraging the be definitely to be creative, but also breaking it up. So if you can afford to order out, we don't order out that much. It's a real special treat when we do, but supporting local restaurants to break up the same foods, eating at home. Like, okay, if you get involved in meal planning and you can help me out Monday and Tuesday on Wednesday, we can order Chipotle. So there's, there's definitely more buy-in. And then when you plan your meals together, plan in some of the favorite packaged foods your kids have. Like my daughter loves cauliflower pizza. So there's two different brands that we love and I let her cook it quite often, but I'm like, we have to add an accent to it. So if you're going to have the cauliflower pizza, let me caramelize. I'll caramelize a ton of onions because it's so good with caramelized onions on top. Oh, oh that sounds caramelized great. Onions make everything better. Yes. And caramelized you, anything. Yeah. <laughs> and when you get in the habit of cooking and you make a bunch, you cook once and eat for three days, it's easy then, but then I'll say you have to cook the spinach. So it's really about having a schedule set times for meals with a little bit of leeway because things are going to come up, right? Their teacher could change their online schedule or you could have a meeting go long where you really want to work out before dinner because if you wait, the exercise isn't going to happen. Right. You know, then to have something, okay, well, I'm going to go work out. We're delaying dinner by an hour. What are some options you might like? If they're a younger kid, you offer them a couple. You might say, you want clementines with string cheese or do you want almond butter and crackers? It just takes all the 
back and forth negotiations out of it. If you just frame it like that, it empowers them to choose one or the two healthy choices. Instead of saying, I'm going to go work out, find something healthy, don't eat chips. Like, it's like, okay, now they want the chips. What chips? Where are the chips? We have chips? Like, you yeah, know? yeah. Don't so, even put it out there. Yeah. So a lot of times it's, it's the framing. And then obviously whenever, whenever they can get them involved in meal planning. And it could be that if they're always coming out with like, okay, I want cauliflower pizza and that's their meal planning contribution or tuna melt. Then you can say, well, why don't we, this Friday night for family night, let's sit down and find some um, recipes together. Or that might be for a younger kid. For an older kid, you could just tell them, they'll find stuff on TikTok. I mean, yeah. and then they want, to, they want to put the video up. You just have to talk about like where to put the phone and how to keep it clean. Like, don't be touching. Well, clean off the phone first with some rubbing alcohol because that phone is gross and I don't want yes. that near my food. I don't want you touching that phone and then touching my food, you know, but have it, have it in a nice area that's safe. It's not going to fall in a pot. The thing you got to go over these things with kids. That's a good point. Those you are know? good pointers. Cause I don't have children and I, none of that would have occurred to me. Oh my gosh. It's like the cover. Cause it's just like more money, more money. Like if, right. if they can break it, it's going to be broke. I'm saying like, you really, you really got to take the time to, to, to make sure that, that, that you cover the basics when they're in the kitchen. And then sometimes, you know, depending on their personality too, like I think right now with COVID, some of us are feeling overwhelmed for a lot of us, work might've gotten crazier because now that you're accessible, everybody wants to zoom or catch up. So sometimes it can actually be harder or more difficult and you feel like you might have less time. And so learning how to delegate things, I think effectively, and depending on their age, it could be for a younger kid, just scrubbing the fruits and vegetables. I mean, with my, with my daughter, she likes it if I'm sous chef. If she's going to take over and plan the meal, I will be the sous chef. I'm like, she's like, really? You don't mind scrubbing the sweet potatoes? I'm like, you're cooking it, right? <laughs> hey, yeah, I yeah. never thought about that. Yeah, it works out well. That's really smart. So have you had the situation where you've got a kid who's triggered by the other kids to ask for things? So let's say the other one was not hungry, but somebody got a snack and now they're like, oh, I need that too. How do you meet the kids' needs if you have multiple when sometimes they want something just because the other kid got it? I think are you, if you're talking about like a weight concern or you're trying to regulate, regulate appetite, having a set schedule, especially with younger kids can help. I mean, obviously you always want to encourage intuitive eating. So if you have a kid and I, I can think of so many clients I've worked with who have described this exact situation and it's almost always the case. Family member has three kids, one of the kids or two of the kids maybe have weight concerns, another kid can eat all day long, everything, and they're having a hard time putting on weight. So what you try to do is approach it from a family by asking everybody, first off, having set some regular set times. Because usually when kids, when you're having meals at a set time, hunger is going to happen at a set time. So Mm -hmm. having those healthy snacks and then saying something like, it's okay to say, are you really hungry? Are you bored? Is there something else you need? Did you have a glass of water? But using that with all the kids across the board. Right. So no, not one single kid feels um, isolated. And then the other thing is making sure that you talk about eating with presence. So 
for a kid who maybe has less appetite regulation to be able to say, okay, you can have a snack. Here are the choices, just like you would to another child. But you make sure, okay, let's go into the kitchen and sit down and eat it. Because if they can't eat it in front of the TV, in their bedroom, or using an electronic, often suddenly they're not hungry. <laughs> That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see saying it, but I don't want it that bad. That My mom's rule for us staying home from school was always, if you really want to stay home, you can't watch TV while you're home. From yes, school. exactly. And then usually magically you're like... I don't feel that bad. So that's a good idea. Exactly. It's so true. It's so true. And I think our society is so just so tech oriented. I mean, my daughter will come in and she'll put the phone down at the kitchen table. I'm like, what's the phone doing at the kitchen table? And I, and then I'm like, oops, my phone's right next to me. Okay. Let me get my phone (laughs) and go put that in the other room. And we do use it for cooking. And then often because I do recipe development, I'm recording. So I just always, I remind myself to live by these rules. And sometimes it's tempting. There've been times where I've been stressed and I'm like, I would just love to watch like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or like some like funny show and laugh and have a cup of ice cream. But I I can have that ice cream, but I can't have it in front of the TV. Mm. And really practicing by modeling that behavior with my daughter, it's creating healthy habits with her because if she sees that it's okay to eat for enjoyment, sometimes we're gonna eat when we're not hungry and we are eating for enjoyment. But how are we eating it? Is it in the right size, amount? Are we being present to that food? Are we enjoying it without guilt? And are we like sitting in the kitchen, most importantly? Or maybe outside on the porch, but you're not doing something else that, yeah. that's, that's distracting you. How important is it for parents to learn these skills to be able to model them? I know with a lot of other habits, if it's difficult to give someone something you don't have. So how important is it for a parent to work out their issues with food? I think it's so important. And I wish more people who can, who can work with a dietitian, who can afford it, would do it. Because it's, it's, I mean, we really are the experts in behavioral change. I mean, if you have a graduate degree, that means seven years of schooling between undergrad, your internship, and grad school. And that's what we do. We, we teach people how to change. We all know, um, not all of us, but we all, for the most part, we all know fruits and vegetables are good. You should choose right. whole grains, right? But it's like how to eat them, how to eat them with awareness, how to meal plan, what nutrients are important for different conditions. Why should omega-3s really be included if you have a, fa- a family history of depression? All of these things are we provide the knowledge, right? But we also are providing the, the how-to and the why. And your relationship with food is, is so obvious to everybody around you. And so I think one of the things that I, I do use with my daughter is sometimes I'll sit down and I do have something sweet or enjoyable and I'm not hungry. Like to, to be able to show it's okay, that food is also for enjoyment. And that food, when it's, that I'm not going to eat it if it's just good for me. Like I, it has to taste good. And it's not about like shove down that spinach. So you get your green leafy vegetable, but how do you like spinach? That's one of her favorite mm-hmm. vegetables. It's not my favorite vegetable, but she's managed to cook it in a way that I really love the spinach now. So I'm starting to like it for the first time. Also being open and not like, I didn't let her know I wasn't a huge fan of spinach. 
because I made that mistake when she was three and we were at the grocery store and she was like, mom, can we get olives and jalapenos? And I'm like, oh, I don't think so, honey. And she, <laughs> she was like, can't we try them? And so she, she was three years old. She ate an entire container of jalapeno olives because jalapenos and olives mixed together. Oh, wow. And, and- I revisited <laughs> olives and I love them. So not, not showing your own food prejudices to, to your child, having an open mind, trying it in a different size, t- texture, temperature, visual presentation with or without sauce, like really kind of modeling that you're willing to try certain foods. And there's certain foods I don't want. Like I don't like sushi and my daughter loves sushi. I told her, I think it'd be great if you tried it and you like it. It's just not my thing. And that's okay. You can't always be the perfect role model to try every, every type of food. And it's also okay to model benefits. Like I'm eating this, I'm eating salmon or I'm having a tuna melt. I make a healthy tuna melt, but it is still wicked. So good. It's just incredible. Anyway, so I'm eating the tuna because I like the taste, but it also has omega-3 fatty acids, which are really important for brain health. So I still continue with that. When I was, when my daughter was younger, I used to tease her and say, I'm going to be so much smarter than you because I eat walnuts all the time. (laughs) It's not true. I eat salmon. And I'm like, but not, not as many, because I'm really eating the walnuts when you're not looking, I'm having those walnuts. But you can still use some of those messages as they get older, but kids don't want to feel like they're lectured to. So it has to be more about taste and visual appeal. Yeah. And that's good advice for anyone doing nutrition ed. Cause I don't think anybody wants to be lectured to. Yeah. <laughs> so except, except like the nerdy dietitians, like we love a good lecture. Come on, tell me what to do. Well, that is, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're an anomaly. Even as dietitians, we need social accountability. Like right now I'm doing a 20 day, 20 minute a day yoga challenge with two of my friends. So a couple of years ago, I would text them every once in a while and be like, let's do a 20 day yoga challenge because I know yoga is so important. Um, working at my computer quite often, cooking. I'm just always hunched forward and you need yes. to do those reverse postures. I'm going to be like this at like 60 with my neck all forward. I, and, yeah, I and, feel that. Yeah. So like having social accountability is so essential. So we've been doing that and now I'm in the habit. It's been eight days. I don't want to skip a day because it feels great. And then But having that kind of social accountability to keep you on track, I think one of the things I love about being a dietitian is I I really do live it so that I can model it, but I know there's no such thing as willpower. Like, right. So I, I get the smaller size of ice cream. I get the small bag of potato chips because there are some people will be like, oh, well, just don't eat them. I'm like, what planet are you from? Yeah. That I'm like, what does that even mean? So do y'all live stream and do yoga at the same time or you just check in with each other? We check in. We have to text before we go to bed. So, I mean, one time one of my friends texted at like 2 (laughs) a.m. She was like, I've been up doing my taxes. Um, But I saw Melissa's text at at 10 and was like, oh, I can't break it. I'm kind of her accountability partner. And for me, is that I do my physical therapy. I broke my back several years ago and I need to do physical therapy every day. And sometimes I don't want to do it. Like I'm really committed to my cardio and I stretch every day, but those PT exercises, I'm like, come on, yes. six years, I still need to do them. But they I do don't know what it different. is about that. Yeah. PT is never fun. You, you can find <laughs> joyful movement in all kinds of other areas, but 
physical therapy is the worst and it always gives you such a payoff. Oh, totally. It's incredible how low the compliance rate is for people. Oh, so, and I'm like, I will feel guilty because if somebody asks, I will do like full on confession. I did the physical therapy for three days, then I forgot for three days. And I'm like, and nobody wants to hear that. So it's just better if I have an accountability partner. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we could all use. And That's really smart. And to recognize it's more powerful to combine your energy with somebody else and to raise, you're both raising each other up. And I feel like I've been really fortunate to, to kind of start those processes with a lot of friends. So now um, I started a book club like eight, eight years ago as a way to kind of balance my work and life. And it makes me clean my house. Cause I hate, I don't want to clean uh, my house. My kitchen's like always like, just we're constantly cooking. So it's like, I just clean up and it's a mess again. And so by having, hosting a book club every month, I get to try new recipes out, see what people think. And then it makes me, forces me to like, oh my gosh, like that huge white spot in the wall. I need to like patch that up. Like all those <laughs> things. Like, and so so I started thinking, well, I'm so busy. How am I going to keep up my social life? Well, I want to read, right? I want to test the recipes. We'll combine that with a book club. And then I started doing other things with the group. Like, okay, instead of letting, instead of getting together for coffee, let's go for a hike. So then I, I started like kind of like a small hiking group. And it's just ways where you can, you can still, it's not like I'm meeting with them for the sole purpose to like check off my exercise, but it's, it's, it's a combination. And in our busy worlds today, it forces you to kind of disconnect from technology, get, get outside, connect with nature and connect with people you care about. And I think I always recommend that to couples. I'm like, instead of doing like a date night where you go out to a heavy dinner and you sit at a movie, like get a babysitter and go for like a date walk. I'm in Pasadena. You can walk around the Rose Bowl. Like you yeah. don't always have to have a sedentary date, right? Or yes, or socialization. Try to try to get together and do activities. I mean, I I've even hosted a garden party where we've all made succulents together. That sounds so cute. And yeah, it's, it's funny to see that if someone doesn't propose an active idea, a lot of times you're friends with people who like to eat the same way as you. If someone doesn't break that pattern, that'll be all you ever do. But then when you suggest something more physical, everybody's into it. So, and then they all create healthier habits. Like, so now like my friends who would never have texted, like, let's do, do this yoga pack. Now they're, they're instituting it, oh. right? Because if I drop off, somebody else is in there to kind of initiate it. And I think we all, it is such a, I don't want to use the word toxic, but it's just, we have so much food in, in the United States, which is ironic because there's, I mean, it's sad because there's so many hungry kids. Right. Right. But it's like, we live in excess, many of us. I mean, I, when I got my Costco order, I, I think I kept on going back and forth between feeling like so fortunate and overwhelmed. Like I actually teared up, like I got the Costco order, but then I felt so horrible. Like I have this huge watermelon. This could feed a family of five. Like yeah. how am I able to get this watermelon and who, what in the order can we donate? And I, I feel like it's sometimes we feel guilty and we beat ourselves up because we're like, we're so blessed that we can access healthy food. We shouldn't be either overeating it or throwing it out. 
know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And, and it's so- very our relationship with food and the guilt factor. Yeah. yeah. And even though it's unfortunate and it's obviously tragic and something we need to change that some people don't have enough. The people who have enough, the problem isn't that they have enough. The problem is that other people don't have what you have. So feeling bad for not suffering doesn't actually help, but that is the natural thing that that's just a human reaction. And And then right now it's like, okay, well, how can I get this watermelon and a few extra soy milks and some limes and things like that? to somebody without risk and is it worth for them to come and get it or what I mean so you go you go back and forth so there's a lot I think there's a lot are during this COVID-19 a lot of our emotions are escalated and that's why we again need to realize we need that social support like the connection for the home exercise like I'm getting all my friends to do this YouTuber that my daughter recommended and we do these YouTube exercises together and I'm sharing it with other people like let's do Tell me what one you like the best and just to kind of encourage movement because even if you're exercising, and you're going out for a walk, we are incredibly sedentary and this is very bad for our kids. Mm. They're spending a ton of time. If, if they're in a program that still is course mandated and like my daughter's school, it's very scheduled. She still has a lot of homework and she's up late still doing homework. But then there are other parent kids who only, they're done everything by one o'clock and they can't go outside. They're stuck watching TV. You need to really figure out ways to exercise as a family. I mean, I have a ton of stuff on my website for indoor exercise, just because of years of like, just people who can't go outside safely or they have to be at home during the winter or weather restrictions to exercise at home. But we really need to get people to understand that that even just walking to the car, parking, and walking to pick up your kid, walking to get to the grocery stores, the amount of exercise for many of us who are staying at home or even going into work, but not doing all those other errands. Right. We could end up with a five to 10 pound weight gain, which people should not be judging us, of course, on how much weight we gained during COVID-19. But if you have a health condition, right? You don't want to be putting on that extra weight. Just losing your ability to move freely because you've been sitting for so long is problematic. Even just for the things that you like to do that you're looking forward to doing when we all get back out again. Yeah. Yeah. So keeping it up, I think is, is definitely one of those things that parents need to pay attention to evaluate their physical activity. Mm, yeah. And it looks like it should be really easy to make physical activity fun as a family. Like it can be hard sometimes to find something that you find fun in isolation because we're such social people, which yeah. it makes sense that you've created fitness that involves other people and fills multiple needs at once, the need to move and the need to have connection. I think too many times people just try and force it as a should instead of looking for ways to make it fun. To make it fun and engaging. And even like my daughter was so funny. She goes, do you realize we use every room in the house as a gym? And I cracked up because we, we, have, our, we have a little tiny family room and the, the couch is like broken up. So it's almost like a couch on each side. It was one of those together. I broke up the couch and, and it fits two yoga mats right down the middle. So you, you can't like, Thank God nobody's coming in through the front door anymore because they would walk right into like, 
yoga blocks. Like, and she does her Chloe Ting workouts and then we do our yoga together. And then you go into my office and I also have a yoga mat. I have a TRX into the wall so that oh, I can, it's a good investment. Um, so I can stretch on that. Then I have a standing sitting desk with like all these like little acupuncture foot things. And then she does her dance class in her, in her bedroom. And then I have an exercise bike in my bedroom. <laughs> and then I have like re, re, uh, repurpose like gym equipment. Sometimes you can get it just repurpose. That's really, it's like less than a gym membership in my oh, garage. Definitely. So we, and then, and then sometimes we do dance in the kitchen. So she was like, mom, do you realize we use every room in the house as a gym? And I said, I kind of grew up like that, Abigail. I said, I'm really, I'm so grateful that my parents always exercised at home. So my, my, our basement was like my dad's karate dojo or whatever you, you call that. We had the punching bag. And then upstairs we had like an exercise bike and a treadmill. And it was just, so I kind of grew up with that. And I think even now when I go visit my mom, she's in her seventies. And every time I, every time she watched a TV show with me, she would be down on the floor stretching. And my dad has his little dumbbells. We, (laughs) we, we influence each other generational and we need to show we are not made to sit. We're not made to sit. Nutrition is only part of the equation. I mean, even when sometimes people, we used to run, if you go back hundreds of years, people ran everywhere. They really ran, walked. They weren't running all day, but they were moving all day. And our body mechanics, like the more we sit, the more joint pain we get, the more wear and tear on our body. And so Mm. it's a big, I think it's an important message to kind of model that for parent role modeling with kids. And that's a good one for everybody who has had to go back to work because maybe they're considered an essential worker, but we're sitting more because usually I would walk down the hall to deliver a short message or even just to like hang out and goof out off for a little bit. And now everyone stays in their office. We're like yelling at each other from down the (laughs) hall or sometimes even calling the person who's in the office right next to you. And so we're just sitting all day and everybody's feeling so fatigued because you wouldn't even want to go for a walk because you might run into someone. That's the other thing. You're exhausted from sitting all day. So this is a great, that's a great opportunity to get all your office mates to say, let's do chair stretches. You can do the side of the chair, hang off to the side. And you do the other side and you make a pack that at a certain time every day at 10 o'clock, you all do your chair sit, your chair or, or sitting up yeah. and standing. So you, you, you um, sit down and then stand up, but it's almost like a squat. So you don't let your tushy touch the chair and you okay. do maybe, maybe Monday you do five of those. You got to make sure you don't hurt your knees okay. and put your knees over your, your, you have to be able to see your toes and you could start that on Monday. You got my email. We could make a pack. We could do. Okay, that would be a great idea. Yeah. Yes. I'd be in. I mean, I have my little weights here from when I worked at from home today. They're here trying to inspire me, but I haven't used them yet. They're trying though. So it starts, I, that's, that's how it works. It starts out slowly. Like, so I was doing the yoga and I'm like, I really need to do 20 minutes of exercise before I eat lunch. Cause I start my day early. I have a lot of people I work with on the East coast. So, and sometimes I'll just get out of bed and I'm like, Oh my gosh, my first calls in five minutes. And so I'm not really stretching and getting all this synovial fluid and your joints moving and everything. Mm. So I I've been talking about it 
now for about five days. And so usually I talk about it for five, sometimes 10 days, and then it, it happens. So I think by mid to late next week, I will start to do the 20 minutes before lunch because it's not like I'm not putting in the hours. Right. Like what's 20 minutes before lunch when I'm still answering emails sometimes from like eight to 10 p.m.? Yeah. Yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? and, and it will only increase productivity. So nothing is lost at all. Yeah. It's just, it's and all gain. Increase productivity, but also in the course of your lifetime. Not just oh, in yeah. Day. Yeah. Yeah. And I've looked at a couple of books on motivation and there are different theories about how giving universal advice doesn't really work. You have to be self-aware. So I think it's interesting that you even know with yourself that you might talk about it for 10 days, but that you're gearing up to actually do it. Exactly. Yeah. My mom always jokes. She was like, oh, you as a kid, you would always be like, I'm going to be exercising soon. Pretty soon. I'm going to exercise. <laughs> and she'd be like, it'd be an hour and a half later. And you're like, I'm just putting on my sneakers. It does. It does take me a while to gear up, but I do build on habits. I mean, for me, cardio is essential. If I don't do cardio, my back is just in so much pain. So, but even before that, I felt like I needed it to be this like happy, joyful, positive person. Like maybe some of that's innate, but I feel like exercise greatly enhances my positivity. Like it changes mm -hmm. my attitude towards gratitude. If I'm not like when my back goes out and I can't exercise, I'm not, it's not just because my, my back is out. It's also because I'm not getting those endorphins, you know? Yeah. And I, I feel I feel like when people start to exercise regularly, it's so life affirming. It's just getting that over. And I work with some, I, I work with some teenagers who they just, they come in and they're like, tell me what to do and tell me how to be healthy without getting off the couch. I'm like, it's just. Oh, they verbalize it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had, oh, yeah, I've, yeah, very resistant and I can't push back because if I, if I push, it's going to, it's going to be worse. So it's right. interesting. And, and also getting, getting families to understand it took a life. It takes a lifetime for these habits to, to develop. I can't undo it in two hours. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's good for everybody to remember for themselves. Like that's not going to happen. It took you a long time to get to this point. So exactly. you can expect it to take some time to create and meaningful change. And to, and to be loving towards yourself during that process. Yeah. And how does that show up for people? How can you be cruel to yourself? And what would the opposite look like? So, I mean, I think, I think people are hard on themselves uh, quite often, I'm going to say, when I'm in, in counseling. But I also get, I try to get for me, I try to get the client to kind of come up with the solutions. I, I know what the solutions are that I think will work, but it has to come from within. And, and so I'm trying to lead them to it. So often it's not as much as they're verbally opening up about how they beat themselves up as much as they're coming up with obstacles based on their, what they define as inadequacies within themselves. Oh. So I can't do that because I don't have the discipline or or external circumstances. I can't do that because I'm the kind of person who has to work from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. I cannot take lunch and, or I lose all my drive. So 
but then it's me coming back and using some of those things we learn, learn in behavioral science as well. How is that helping you? Well, it's not. You know, like, kind of, like come to that like self-realization and then coming up with strategies that work and making it easy for them. Sometimes it's more, it's more about, it's, it's not just about having them realize um, what their, I guess in a way it is having them realize what their obstacles are, but also being forgiving in the process. So for example, let's say I have somebody who says, I can't, I just, I'm at work all day and I know I need to go to the gym, but by the time I get home, I can't, I just, I'm too tired. So we might suggest, well, why don't you pack your clothes and change at work? so that you don't go home first and you go right to the gym. So, oh, I'm just, I'm still too, I'm too wound up. Uh, so then it, it could be like, well, how do you see yourself unwinding? Well, I'd love to go outside. Well, could you go for a 10 minute walk before you go to the gym? Just having them kind of come, come to that. And I work with adults and kids, even though I have super kids nutrition, I work with a mix of both. So I really love it when I get to work with the whole family. And is that something that a lot of people opt to do? Not really, but it's like what's mostly needed. I mean, I can go into the house and work with somebody. I worked with an extreme picky eater a while ago and I I got to go to their house and we identified their, their parenting styles. And one parent was, I think they were authoritarian. No, they were authoritative. They were authoritative. And the other parent was neglectful. And so once I can identify the parenting style on, on how they're parenting food, like permissive, it's like, sure, go ahead and eat it. And then neglectful is just like, they're totally on their own. And then you've got that eat exactly what I say and that's it. And then you have the, um, the one where uh, authoritarian, I hope I'm not messing this up. Sometimes I get authoritative and authoritarian mixed up where you're really kind of working with the child. And so I have this little test in this handout. And once we can identify that, what ends up often happening is the parents will start to talk about their own eating habits. Mm. And it kind of, we put these steps in place where the kid is trying new food. Now the parent is so excited to cook again. And then they're realizing some of their own behaviors through how they parent their kid or re-examining their relationship with, with their children. during their childhood. Sorry, I think I'm getting a little dehydrated here. (laughs) I can see my my brain. It's like really starting to show that it's the end of the day. (laughs) I think we've actually, we've covered. I kind of skipped around, I'm sure, and covered a bunch of things. I think, yeah, you covered so much. Well, one thing I did want to ask you, you mentioned ways that kids could participate in the meal planning process, but you do have some culinary ed videos specifically for children, right? And tools that are targeted at oh, the yeah. child themselves. Yeah. How, so, can, how are those meant to be used? So, well, my, so Super Kids Nutrition partners with the American Institute for Cancer Research, they've raised over 90 million for cancer. And we started this national campaign and it has all these awesome toolkits in there that are free and printable for parents and schools and nonprofits, different organizations can use them. And we came up with this cooking by age and then also food safety, which is terribly important because so many yes. people get foodborne illness and they think they're getting the flu, but it's just poor hand washing and food prep. And so um, we break it down by skills by age. And it's just, you know, because parents can get really overwhelmed when they try to have their kid in the kitchen. And it's because either they're assigning 
too many tasks for that age level, or they're pushing too many responsibilities for a parent, for a child or teenager who's just not ready yet for that. So it covers skills by age. And then we have a ton of stuff on cooking with kids. I mean, we have so many articles on cooking with kids. We have one cooking with your teen, get your teen to cook so you don't have to. And sometimes to get kids in the kitchen too, like when I'm working with middle schoolers, I'll say something like, I have these great recipes that I usually recommend for college students. Like if you search my site, just look for the word dorm or college. I think you'd be ready for them because they're like super, (laughs) super easy. You know, it's like cooking on the stovetop, cooking in the microwave, like assembling healthy foods together raw to kind of get them interested. And you start them out with something small so that they can kind of build that skill set. That's really smart. I was talking to somebody this week, actually, who has employees in a tech company that provides food for their hires, for everybody. And he mentioned the challenge that people have had during COVID is that some of these young employees have never had to cook for themselves because they were cooked for at home and then they had a meal plan in college And then their first job is at this awesome tech company that provides all your food. (laughs) And now they're stuck at home. Yeah. (laughs) Or they're going into debt from Postmates. Exactly. Because before they probably only had to order out once a day for dinner. And yeah, I'm sure some people also stuff things in their bag for later on in the day. How people get around. Oh, yeah. So I just thought that's so interesting. Even if you think you're never going to need culinary skills. It's so invaluable. And what it's so empowering to let your kids have a little authority in the kitchen. Once you've come up with some ground rules for safety, like when you're cutting vegetables, claw so they don't like chop off the tip of their finger. Because I think everything that every every parent across the United States is saying, don't do that. We can't go to the emergency room now. It's like (laughs) I like I realized at one point I saw it in an Instagram post and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I've said that 15 times. Times in like the last 30 days. So you go over some basic kitchen safety and you don't make it complicated. You need to pick some easy things that with ingredients they're familiar with or that they like. Right. And don't they have child safe knives on Amazon and oh, child yeah. safe scissors? So there's so many things for, for young kids that are just really helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. These are all excellent tools. I'm so glad they're available for people who don't feel like they have enough resources when they're trying to do nutrition edit school. And I know even for the approachable kitchen activities, seeing it broken down into age groups was very helpful because I think sometimes, even if you have children, now that you have older children, you may have forgotten at what point which activities would have been appropriate for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like go and, and, and revisit it. Like, I mean, even for me, I'm thinking of new ideas all the time. So if you're not even in the field, there's probably a ton of things that you haven't tried that, that could change your child's attitude or their approach or their interests. I think sometimes when people go to super kids nutrition, what I hear is they don't know where to start because it is, there's so many content items in so many categories and I'm like, that's what the search engine's for. Just mm-hmm. type in like teen cooking or kid cooking and you'll, you'll find what you need, but you have to go back and revisit it. You can't always be using the same tools in your toolbox. 
Right. Yeah. And I'm glad to know you update things. So then this is definitely a resource everybody should be using. This is going to save us oh, thank you. a lot <laughs> of time. Now you have a book as well. Can you, I, I wanted you to oh, yeah, show yeah. us what it looks like. This is the Super Crew Breakfast Cookbook for kids, but it also has um, 100 nutrition activities. So it has everything from growing blueberries. Here's one of the characters. Marcus, who's making pineapple carrot muffins. And it's just like super fun and colorful. And every character, oh, Tom Tom is, he gets his powers from water and red food. So he teaches kids about hydration. So like in addition to recipes, there are a ton of activities, like even math activities. And what's great is for people who don't, maybe are schools or organizations that can't afford a book, we're um, selling the handouts from like creating handouts from the book in Spanish and English. And they'll be up like at the end of this month. Oh, that's so, exciting. And so a school can print it out for a couple bucks, but they can, they can use it repeatedly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's excellent. And there's a ton of free things too. Yeah. That's good to know. Everybody likes free, but yeah. honestly, at some point when you see someone producing content that you really love and you want to use, I'm sure people want to support that. So oh, that's going to require money. So at some point you have to lay off the free end. You need to spend money to support the people. Oh, yeah. So thank you so much for all your time. I was going to ask what a typical day looks like for you, but I think we got to feel for that. You're just constantly busy and you manage your time very well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You are so much fun to talk to. We yeah, absolutely to stay in touch. This has been great. That was a fantastic conversation, lots of cool takeaways, and I love the materials themselves that are on Melissa's site. So I'm sure if you've been in nutrition for a while, you are already familiar with the site, but if you haven't visited, make sure you check it out. That's www.superkidsnutrition.com. I'm going to include her link in the show notes. Even though you're not visiting classrooms right now, these are still great resources that you can use if you're doing long distance things for parents right now. Remember, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others whenever you hear something useful. All right. See you next time.